Welcome to Bill and Tony's Excellent Adventure in Music. Here are your hosts, Bill Fraser and Tony Sartu. Welcome to Bill and Tony's Excellent Adventure in Music. I'm Bill. And I'm Tony. And we are going to explore our love for music by sharing some facts and our thoughts on some of the best albums of all time. And today's album is Red by Taylor Swift. Now, I know we said last time that we were going to be doing Red and 1989, but upon further review, we decided that those two albums are two excellent albums and it didn't make sense to jam them into one show. Our producer, you know, overrode us on that one, right? So <laughs> we got notes. We got notes, yes. <laughs> yeah. We received notes and we're only doing red. So there you go. So what we're going to do is we're going to add just a new quick segment here. We're going to include some listener comments because we really want to engage with you folks and we would love to hear from you. So I'll give you just some comments that we received on the Christmas holiday episode. It's actually, that's an important distinction. It was the holiday episode. <laughs> And that leads us to some of these comments. So Corey in Ventura, California, and John in Fort Worth, Texas, both pointed out that we left off the Hanukkah song, which was really a big miss. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, you know, I, I responded to Corey with, you know, I, I kind of think of the Hanukkah song as an SNL skit. So that was where my mind was. But it, it was a good call out. We, we should have included it. Arden Hoboken, New Jersey, commented that uh, Darlene Love used to close out every uh, Letterman show uh, at the end of the year with the, uh, what song does she sing? <laughs> <laughs> We're singing Deck the Halls. There you go. nothing like Christmas at all. Ellie from my house also <laughs> pointed out that Darlene Love appeared on Zoe Deschanel's New Girl uh, singing a uh, Christmas song as well. I've been binge watching New Girl and I just watched that episode like over the past week. And then finally, we have Brian and Edison who said the diva section, how could we leave off Whitney's uh, Do You Hear What I Hear? And for O Canada, what about the 12 Days of Christmas by the McKenzie Brothers? Um, Bill, any comments? Uh, no, I just really appreciate all of the feedback that we're getting and the engagement from uh, you know, the people who are listening. So I think it's awesome and we really... Really love getting it, and, and uh, it helps us think about things we should be including. Absolutely. So we'd love to hear from you. Again, you know, if you're friends and family, you already know how to get a hold of us. But if you're not, you can contact us via email at bill at bntexcellent.com or tony at bntexcellent.com. The show has an Instagram page, Bill and Tony Pod, and we have a Twitter account, at Bill and Tony Pod, and we're on Facebook uh, with BNT Excellent. Of course, you can also find us on our individual social me social media accounts as well. Okay, with that piece of business out of the way, Bill, tell us about the social and musical context. So, Tone, let's talk a little bit about what was going on in 2012. Barack Obama was reelected president. He defeated Mitt Romney in the election. Uh, we had several big events going on in general. Hurricane Sandy took place in 2012 for you know, anybody who lived through that storm and had to deal with the after effects from it. It was obviously a significant storm. And we've obviously seen a lot more storms in the, in the past several years that are of that ilk. 
2012 was a big year in what also is a disturbing trend in mass shootings. You had both the mass shooting in Aurora, Colorado, where a gunman went in and shot uh, in, in a movie theater in The Dark Knight Rises. You also had the Sandy Hook Elementary School shooting in 2012. The Benghazi attack took place in 2012. DeClark died in 2012. Facebook IPO'd in 2012. Obamacare was upheld by the Supreme Court in 2012. And Obama came out and was vocally in favor of gay marriage in 2012. So a lot going on in, in social context. Uh, moving to movies and TV, movies, there were some big movies that took place in, in 2012. Uh, top five, The Avengers, Dark Knight Rises, Hunger Games, Skyfall, and Twilight Breaking Dawn Part Two. In TV, a couple of NCISs, NCIS and NCIS LA, both in the top five, uh, as well as Big Bang Theory and Sunday Night Football. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Uh, what was number five? Number five was Person of Interest. And I know that's a personal favorite of yours. So I, I will. Personal I, favorite it, of mine. How could you leave yeah, it off? Guys, think, it, if you haven't watched Person of Interest, it's really a fantastic show. Can't, fig- can't figured you would call that out. You so. enough. Yeah. All right. All right. So, Tone, I want to do something slightly different for 2012 because it was fairly recent and I was looking at sports in 2012. And it was an insane year for sports. So I'm going to pose to you who had the best year as an athlete in 2012. And I'm going to give you some some quick rundown of the years that people had in 2012. Let's go to baseball. Miguel Cabrera won the Triple Crown in 2012 and the the MVP. Mike Trout, it was his rookie year, won the rookie of the year, was the runner-up in MVP and had just a ridiculous year in, in a very short season. In football, you had Johnny Manziel won the Heisman as a freshman. Calvin Johnson, Megatron, broke the single-season receiving yard record in 2012. Adrian Peterson almost broke Dickerson's rushing record in 2012. In basketball, LeBron James, at age 28, wins his NBA championship, his first with the Miami Heat. He also wins an Olympic gold medal. You had the London Olympics in 2012 with Usain Bolt, at age 26, winning his double-triple. He won the 100, 200, 4 by 100 in back-to-back Olympics in 2008 and 2012. Michael Phelps at age 27, four gold medals, two silvers, finishes with 22 medals and 18 gold. Missy Franklin at 17 wins four gold medals and a bronze. And then you've got soccer, Alex Morgan, who scored 28 goals, 21 assists, and gets the Olympic gold medal with the women's soccer team. But I'll argue that while all of those seasons were tremendous, there were two athletes that had better years than all of those people. And and those were some pretty special years. Serena Williams, at age 31, dominates the back half of the year. Absolutely dominates. She wins Wimbledon, the U.S. Open, the Tour Championships, and both the Singles and Doubles Championships at the Olympics. Just an absolute domination in the back half of that year. But that might not even be the best year in sports that year. The best year in sports probably belonged to 25-year-old soccer superstar Lionel Messi, who over one calendar year achieved the most goals scored ever that still holds. He scored 91 goals in one calendar year, an absolute all-time year for soccer. Well, you posed the question to me, and when you're running down the list of athletes here, I do remember the one that, and you'll never guess this one, but the one that really stuck out in my mind from that time was Missy Franklin blew me away in that Olympics. That that was an amazing showing. Yeah, absolutely. Because not only did she win, but it was, and not only did she set world records, but she was blowing the doors off of 
these world records. And again, I hadn't thought about this in 10 years, but um, her performance in that Olympics was absolutely amazing. So just a, gr a great year in sports. So I had, had to call that out. All right. So let's pivot back to music and we'll talk about the top albums and singles of the year. So unlike past years when, you know, we've only had a handful of number one albums, 2012 had 32 different number one albums, 32 different number one albums. I mean, that's that's like as if nothing really dominated that year. The year opened with Michael Bublé's Christmas as the holdover number one from the year prior. And then Adele took over for 10 weeks with 21. Now that was released in 2011, but it was the top seller for the entire year of 2012 and was number one for 10 weeks in 2012. One Direction had two number one albums and uh, other artists to have uh, chart toppers were Bruce Springsteen, Pink, Alicia Keys, Justin Bieber, Madonna, Carrie Underwood, Lionel Richie, Nas, John Mayer, and Nicki Minaj. So really just a wealth of music from all over the spectrum of music uh, hitting number one on the album charts. And as far as sales go, the top seller for the year wasn't any of those number one albums. It was Imagine Dragons with Night Visions and Bruno Mars with Unorthodox Jukebox, Taylor Swift's Red, Lana Del Rey with Born to Die, and Pink with The Truth About Love were the top five albums in as far as sales go in the year. So, Tone, two other albums that I would just call out as special albums that came out in 2012. Kendrick Lamar's Good Kid, Mad City, just an absolutely special album. And Frank Ocean, Channel Orange is an absolutely amazing album as well. So two albums that came out in 2012 as well that I would highly recommend. Great. So now we'll talk about the top five singles for the year. The top five singles were Somebody That I Used to Know by Gautier, Call Me Maybe by Carly Rae Jepsen, We Are Young by Fun. And that's going to be some uh, an important thing that we're going to circle back to when we talk about uh, Taylor Swift and Red. Payphone by Maroon 5 and Lights by Ellie Goulding. Some other notable singles were Stronger by Kelly Clarkson, which was number seven. We Found Love uh, was number eight by Rihanna featuring Calvin Harris, who is an ex-partner uh, of Taylor Swift. Starships by Nicki Minaj was number nine. Number 10 was What Makes You Beautiful by One Direction. And some other notable hits were at number 14, Some Nights, also by Fun. So Fun really had a huge year. Number 33 was Taylor with We Are Never Getting Back Together. And then finally, number 36, Moves Like Jagger. <laughs> the other one that I'd be remiss if I didn't mention, Tone, is from the Korean artist Psy, Gangnam Style. That really? came out in 2012, and that was absolutely a viral hit. The song was off the freaking charts, maybe not on, on the record charts, but as far as like YouTube hits and, 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 oh, and watches, it was enormous, that song. So 2012, oh, Gangnam Style. <laughs> that was absolutely enormous. Yeah, I, I am surprised that that didn't make uh, the list. I don't know how. Um... I'm, doing a, I'm doing a dance here. <laughs> nice. All right. So thank you, Tom, for the musical background for 2012. There was a lot going on in 2012. Uh, maybe we should talk a little bit about our own personal histories with Red. Sounds good. So I'll go first, and I'll, I'll get I'll get me out of the way and let you let you swoon. So for me, Taylor Swift play, has played a large part in the past fifteen years of my life ish. Because with three daughters who really enjoy her music and have listened to her music rapidly since 
her, her de- debut album in 2006. I really have heard Taylor Swift since day one. While I maybe didn't listen to the totality of Red as an album back in 2012, I heard every single off of that album in 2012, and I heard it a lot. So I definitely had Taylor Swift right in front of me at all points in time, really from 2006 until present. And somebody who I really enjoy as an artist, and I've really enjoyed watching her progress as an artist. Well, as far as I go, I don't have that long of a history as you. I'm really only, you know, a Swifty from about maybe from 1989 is when I got uh, involved with my fandom. And really, it was because of Blank Space. You know, I heard Blank Space. I said, holy crap, this song is, besides being amazing, it's such a great inversion of the public narrative on her and that negative narrative. And I just admired the way she flipped the script on that and owned it. And it was really just, it was really almost out of admiration for how she did that, that really caught my attention. I said, Hey, this, this woman is smart. You know, she's might be talented. I don't know because I really wasn't listening to her music, but she was definitely smart. So Tony, have you gotten to see her in concert? Sadly, no. I wanted to go to Reputation, but Ellie wasn't into Taylor at the time. And I was still in my closeted phase where <laughs> you, weren't I, going, you weren't going solo. Okay. <laughs> I, I, I wasn't. No, no, I wouldn't have had to go solo because little did I know was I should have just asked my friends with daughters because everybody well, seemed to have gone except for I, me. I, so it, funny enough, and this goes back to like, you know, you and I just didn't talk about music on on this level. I actually went to both of the shows at, at MetLife. I had I had extra tickets and I, I had no idea that you would have been interested in going. It, amazing that, you know. As much as we talked, that that would never have come up. Yeah, it's just comical. Still, still, yeah. that still circles back to being very funny for me. Yeah, yeah. So that's my history. So now, you know, I've really only uh, been a fan since around uh, 2016 or so. But you know, just have a deep appreciation for her musically, but really personally, and just the journey that she's been on. As a matter of fact, I uh, remember at uh, 2020, Colleen and I were at. Uh, Sundance in Park City, Utah, and she wasn't feeling well. So I had to go and stand in the standby line to see a screening of Miss Americana. So seven in the morning, I'm by myself. I'm standing in this line with a whole bunch of young women (laughs) (laughs) and this once old solo dude. (laughs) But uh, it was a great experience. Too funny. All right. So why don't we talk a little bit about the album itself, Tone? Do you want to you want to cover the uh, album and recording info? Sure. Red was recorded in 2011 and 2012, and it was initially produced by Nate Chapman, who produced her previous records. And uh, Chapman appears as a producer on eight of the songs. And the eight songs that Chapman works on are what Taylor calls the Nashville songs. And those were the first ones that were done, and that was what the original record was going to be. But she had really, after writing and recording those songs, she just felt a little stagnant. She felt like she wanted to grow beyond just this very narrow country lane, but she was kind of hesitant about it because, first of all, country uh, radio does not approve of anything swerving outside of the lines of what they think is appropriate. And she was always reticent to, you know, explore um, 
her, you know, her pop and rock inclinations. Now she'd always sort of dipped her toes in that in uh, earlier well, albums. A- absolutely. I mean, you've got, you've got three albums prior to this, right? You've got her debut, Taylor Swift, the self self-titled, you've got fearless in 2008, and then you've got speak now in 2010. And what you, what you see, I think in fearless and speak now is you start to see some pop songs on those albums. Absolutely. And that's her sort of inching her way. So she's really working her way towards where she ultimately wants to go. She felt like she wanted to make just a bigger step outside of those lanes. Really, one of the criticisms for Red when it came out and why uh, many think it didn't win that album of the year is because it kind of flips all over the place genre wise. You know, if once we go through the tracks, we'll talk more about that. But, you know, you have the clearly the eight Nashville songs, and then you've got these eight other songs that are completely different. It is very much a half country, half other stuff album. And that's actually what I love about it. Yeah, she described it as her Jackson Pollock, her splatter paint uh, work. And she said that that's intentional. You know, people said that they thought that it didn't have sonic cohesion. But she says that that is by design because Red is her only true breakup album. And that's how a breakup feels. Your emotions all are all over the place. Yeah, and you, you've got the you know eight songs that are you know on the more negative side, and eight songs that are on the kind of coming out of it side. So you, you know it's it's definitely it, it is a an interesting album from that perspective. Yeah. So that's where we're at. This is really the big leap towards pop, which would culminate with 1989. So she was taking little baby steps in the previous albums. Uh, and then this was kind of a, a bigger real step outside of that lane and, and then leading us to the global pop superstar that she is today. So, so why don't we talk about the album art? And then I think that might lead us into something you might not know. Sound sound right. good? Let's do it. All right. So the album art is very simple for this. So I'm just going to describe the cover. So you, anybody who's either got the album or you know could go on Spotify or on Amazon Music can see the, the album cover. It is... A picture of Taylor with shadows kind of covering her face. And really what you can see very prominently is, you know, her lips that have very bright red lipstick on them. And then the title red and Taylor Swift underneath it. So it is a very simple album cover, but it kind of speaks to the visual of just what you see. You see red jump right out at you in the middle of the album cover and you see it you know, in the form of her lips on the cover. And Taylor was the art director for this album, and she made this very specific choice. And I think we're going to talk about that a little bit more later on. Yeah. So you don't have anything else on the cover. Why don't we move to something you might not know? And I think you and I both have some thoughts on a similar area. Uh, so if you don't mind, I, I, I can start and you fill in anywhere I miss, Tone. Sounds good. All right. So I, I think where I was going to go with is something you might not know, and and you know, I think this might not be anything too uh, surprising for people who are big fans, but something that really didn't jump out at me because I wasn't as versed in music history are the parallels between Red and Joni Mitchell's Blue. So first you've got obviously the polarities of the colors, right? So Joni Mitchell Blue, 1971, classic album, number three album, Rolling Stone, all time, just a spectacular album. And Blue was really an album about pain and loss and really that feeling of loss. And you see the cover of Blue is an image of Joni Mitchell looking down 
cast in blue. And then you cut to the image of Taylor Swift looking down and all you see is her red lips. So you can see some parallels between the, the two covers, but you can also see some parallels between the albums. And in an interview that uh, Taylor Swift had done you know, leading up to Red, she mentioned that Blue was her favorite album of all time. And she really described Red as an album where it's really about bold, intense color and emotion and you know intense emotions that she's written about and that good red emotions which are like love and passion and bad red emotions like anger and jealousy and it's all kind of blended together in this album that comes together as red and Joni Mitchell's Blue is really very much similar in that it's about the pain and suffering and and the depression that she was going through and the feeling of loss that she was going through specifically with her breakup from Graham Nash. And that was the inspiration for Blue as well as, you know, what was going on at the time. 71 was a tumultuous time. So I think you, you've got the relationship component, difficult time in history. And, you know, it was a, it was a feeling of pain uh, and intense emotion. And, and the way that Joni Mitchell described it was that, she really described herself as being like a cellophane wrapper on a, a pack of cigarettes that you could just see through all of her emotions and that they came out very clearly in this album blue. And I think that was really what Taylor Swift intended on doing with red as well. It's really being transparent with her feelings and letting them out very clearly in, in the album. I'll comment that uh, my personal top 10 songs of all time include all too well from this album and case of you from uh, Joni Mitchell Blue. So it's appropriate that we're going to talk about the two of them here together. So the I'll, I'll pick up on that with a little bit more something you don't know uh, on this topic. And that is that, uh, do you remember or are you familiar with the song Mean from uh, Speak Now? She won a Grammy for it. All you are is mean. Yeah, I, 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 I just I listened to the album maybe last week or the week before. So yeah, I, I do remember it. Yeah. So that was in response to a prominent uh, country music blogger named Bob Lefsitz, who torched Taylor after her performance at the 2010 Grammy Awards. She did a medley of songs with the patron saint of this show, uh, Stevie Nicks. And I haven't heard the performance, but by most accounts, she wasn't good. She didn't sound good and Lefsitz demolished her for it, said that she might have killed her career after that performance. And then she he went on to suggest that she was a terrible singer and might be using a lot of uh, electronics and auto-tune and, you know, basically took her down, you know, after that performance. And she responded with Mean, which ultimately won a Grammy. But um, how's that all related here is... In the conversation with Lefsitz, where she was uh, responding to him, saying, uh, "I don't use any electronics, and I, you know, and I can write songs." She went on to write "Speak Now" and wrote every single song as the solo single credited writer, including the song "Mean," which is about this guy. But in the interview that she said while she, when uh, she was defending herself, he asked her, "Have you ever heard?" Uh, Joni Mitchell's Blue. And she said, no, she had never heard it before. So here we are talking about her. And this is her favorite album of all time, the inspiration for Red, but literally two years earlier, had never listened to it before. And in a way, we have Bob Lefsitz to thank for that. That is a very interesting fact. But you also put into context how young she was when this all was happening too. So uh, 
I, I think it's it's a really kind of cool thread is how, how it ties together and how even people who aren't nice to you sometimes wind up giving you a gift in some way. Yeah, exactly. And when we all got the benefit of that gift as well. All right. So, Tone, I think that kind of ties together Taylor and Joni Mitchell and really kind of tells a little bit about, about how some, some of the, the songwriting and the emotion came out in the album. There's, I think, another story about how this album came together in, in really what we started talking about a little bit before. Uh, and I think you might talk about that in the next segment of Something You Might Not Know. Yeah. So I mentioned how she uh, was the single credited writer on Speak Now uh, because she wanted to prove that she was a songwriter. So now she's working on Red. And, you know, like we said, we she had the, the eight kind of Nashville country songs. And she really just, she felt stagnant and she wanted to really press way beyond those bounds. She just was bored basically. And she was turning to the music that she liked. And she ended up working with a gentleman named Max Martin. Now I'll be honest with you before Taylor and sort of getting to know this album, I didn't know the name Max Martin, but clearly Anybody who listens to any kind of music knows Max Martin's music. So how about you? I, I had heard the name Max Martin before. I knew how prolific he was in pop music and, and being involved with some, some big artists. Well, maybe I didn't quite understand how prolific he was. Yeah. <laughs> so I'll leave it at that. <laughs> it's, and it's hard to understand how prolific he was because it's just off the chart. So some of the songs that um, he came to uh, the forefront with in the 90s included Baby One More Time by Britney Spears. I Want It That Way from Backstreet Boys. That's The Way It Is by Celine Dion. It's Gonna Be Me by NSYNC. He also went on to write 25 25 Billboard Hot 100 number one songs. You know, I think there are only two other people who have more than him. Exactly. So the other two people, John Lennon and Paul McCartney. Ridiculous. To be in a club. Ridiculous. Ridiculous. Basically, the Beatles and Max (laughs) Martin have written the most number one songs in history. So among his 25 number ones include a couple of songs with Taylor, Katy Perry's I Kissed a Girl and Roar, and I think a couple of other Katy Perry songs. And he's got number ones with The Weeknd with Blinding Lights and just a bunch of other songs by a bunch of other other artists. So in addition to, you know, all those number one writing credits, he's also tied with George Martin for the most number one producer credits with 23. Just insane. What a prolific guy. And oh, by the way, he's essentially the modern Beatles. Oh, by the way, he's our age. He's 51. Bonkers. So that's Max Martin. He was a uh, major contributor to this album. But uh, just a couple of others, something you might not know is then... um, so this is, you know, now Taylor's really trying to step out of her comfort zone, step out of the country lane. So she also brings in a guy named Jeff Basker to work on this album. And he's a Grammy Award winning producer. Uh, he won uh, Producer of the Year in 2016 and was also nominated in 2013. He also won Grammy Awards as a songwriter for Run This Town by Jay-Z, All of the Lights by Kanye West. And We Are Young by Fun and Uptown Funk by Mark Ronson. The reason why this is significant is because Basker introduces her to Fun. And Fun includes Jack Antonoff, who would go on to be a significant writer and producer with her on, I think, her last five albums. So getting to work with Jeff Basker on Red introduced her to Fun. 
and ultimately led to our ongoing collaboration with Jack Antonoff. All right. Well, that was a very cool something you might not know. So thank you for sharing that, Tom. So with those pieces of business out of the way, I think we're on to the song review, right? We, we talked about the album tracks. We're going to go to the album tracks and clocking in at a whopping 65 minutes. And frankly, this is where moving away from that whole concept that we've talked about many times with older albums about that 45, 46 minute idea. And number one, you know, having to be more thoughtful about the songs, but also it affects the edit on the songs too, you know, because most of these songs are four or five minutes long. And in the album era, you would have to either, you know, tighten those songs up so that they're shorter so that you can get more tracks on the album or just have fewer tracks. And, you know, without that limitation, I think that maybe you lose some of the editing that you might need to have had in the past, and maybe you get a little bloated on the length of these songs. Well, I mean, she trimmed to get to 65 minutes, right? Because the original version of All Too Well was not five minutes. It was a lot longer than that. So Red Taylor's version, 130 minutes. Yeah, so this is her being lean at 65 minutes and 16 songs. So let's get to the first one, which is State of Grace. I have in my notes uh, for State of Grace, she played it as the opener for a lot of her concerts. It's a stadium type song. Like it feels like a stadium pop anthem. That's what it feels like. Absolutely. You could totally hear it opening up a show and it's a great way to open up an album. I love that the driving drums and it's really just pulse, you know, that pulsation and just getting you going. And you know, I don't know why it's just so corny, but I love the uh, in the chorus, the backgrounds. Uh, uh, oh, oh, oh. I just walk around and I have that in my head sometimes. I, I really just, uh, you know, really enjoy that. I'm not saying it's anything incredible, but it just uh, gets stuck in my head. So some uh, lyrics that I love from this one. We learn to live with the pain, mosaic broken hearts. That imagery of mosaic broken hearts is really a powerful image and it's beautiful. I love it. All right. Next up is track two, Red. What do you have for for Red, Tone? This is a good song. It's nothing about it stands out in particular. I do like the line, losing him is blue like I've never known. It's almost a, you know, hearkening to that whole red blue uh, connection that we were talking about. Uh, Other than that, it's a good song. It's not special, but it's good. So I really, really like the song. It's got a strong country backing, but it does have pop sensibility to it. So you've got Mm -hmm. the the pop. it's, It's a country pop song. And what what I get from it is you get this unstable passion is what she's really kind of covering in the song. And I, I think it comes through. Yeah, no, it's, it's a good song. I think it's a little simple. It's, you know, all of the, oh boy, I'm an English major, but I forget. Is it simile or metaphor? You know, it's just a series of loving you is like this, like this, like this. And obviously that's the form of the song, but I think that she's a little more creative than that. I believe so. that's a simile, so, but I'm going to leave that alone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so solid song, definitely. So now we move to track three, Treacherous. This hope is treacherous, this daydream is dangerous. I really like this song. Again, everything on this album is about feelings. It's about emotion. And I think it comes through very strong. I love how it builds with the first two verses. It's just a progressive build. And then you it hits you with the really heavy bass and drum. 
in the chorus and into the end. Well, and treacherous is a strong word, right? And and it evokes a, a really powerful imagery. Yeah, and two uh, lyrics that I really uh, like about from the song are, I can't decide if it's a choice getting swept away. It's kind of interesting, you know? I mean, is it beyond your control or are you willingly, you know, going into this? And then another you know, really cool line is nothing safe is worth the driving. So track four is our real first heavy duty pop song. It's our dubstep track. There you go. Let's do it. So it, it is a, I think a perfect pop song. I mean, it, it, it's, it's got almost like a Skrillex type sensibility to it. <laughs> oh, well, you know, and, and first of all, we, we should call out the song. It's I knew you were trouble is uh, the song that we're talking about. You get the, build up build up and then the bass drop you know so that's like a standard edm uh, song format and we get that here with trouble well and i love the distortion when she you know th- does trouble 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 i love the distortion that they they play in her voice yeah and some uh, uh lines here that i like are he's long gone when he's next to me and i realize the blame is on me this song is you know uh, about harry styles and when you think back to Dear John and it's like, you know, should have known, but with Trouble, she's saying she knew what, you know, Harry Styles wasn't putting up any fronts. There's no, you know, chicanery here. He was who he was and she knew he was Trouble. And uh, that's what this song's about. See, I, I get confused about who some of these are about, though, on whether it's Harry Styles or whether it's John Mayer or whether it's. Hall or whether it's, you know, I, I don't, I don't know that it's at least not clear to me. I don't, I don't know her love life well enough necessarily, but, um, well, it's just the timing wise, you definitely get the, yeah. you definitely get the, <laughs> there was not some great stuff going on. So, all right. So, uh, anything more on trouble? Nope. But why don't we move to track five? And I know this is one of your faves, so I'm going to let you let you kind of kick it off and all too well. What can I say? You know, so I've already told you this is uh, one of my 10 favorite songs of all time. There's just so much that's good here. To me, like every single line in this song paints such a vivid picture. This song, you could see it as a movie. And, and then what did she do last year? She made the movie. So... Some of them are so obvious, it seems dumb to mention, but you call me up again just to break me like a promise, so casually cruel in the name of being honest, might be my favorite lyric ever written ever from anybody. What I get from All Too Well is you definitely get the singer-songwriter on a guitar. You know, you can almost hear her writing it when she's singing it, right? So it feels just like someone telling a story. To your point, you can you can visualize it. And, you know, those types of songs where the lyrics really paint a picture so clearly are powerful. I mean, how good is we're dancing around the kitchen in the refrigerator light? That is just such a clear visual. And you just you want to see that movie. After plaid shirt days and nights when you made me your own. Now you mail back my things and I walk home alone. I'm sure you must have seen the the Grammy performance where she did this. I did. Yeah. This, this reminds me of, you know, one of my other favorite songs of all time, uh, U2's Bad, where she didn't release this as a single. In no way, shape or form did she ever think that this would be some sort of a, you know, a hit. They had no uh, plans for it other than they put it on the record because it was important to her. And she ended up performing it at the Grammys because 
of the unexpected reaction that she got from from her fans and how powerful it was for them. So she goes on and she does it at the Grammys. And oh my God, the hair whips is just something you can't forget once you see it. All right. So I got to take the next song because I cannot hear this song, at least right now, and not think of my daughter, Olivia, because she's 22. And she just had her 22nd birthday in October. And this was the theme song of her, her birthday, because I don't know about you, but she was feeling 22. So oh, I can't believe Livy's 22. That's mind blowing. It goes by very quickly. So what do you like about the song? I, I love it as a pop song. Uh, I mean, it, it's just an awesome, upbeat pop song. And it just dancing like we're 22. You know, it just makes you feel good. Like I, I like the song. Yeah. And bringing this right after All Too Well is great because you've got that down and then it's like, and now, you know, it's that mosaic of, uh, of emotions. And best line for me in, the, in, in that track, we're happy, free, confused and lonely at the same time. It's miserable yeah. and magical. Love that. Yeah, that that is a great line. I, I know we're not talking about the Taylor's version uh, album, but I think it's important to talk about how All Too Well 10 minute version connects to 22. Because in the 10-minute version, there's this uh, whole segment talking about Jake not showing up for her 21st birthday. What's the line? You who charmed my dad with self-effacing jokes, sipping coffee like you're on a late night show. But then he watched me, watched the front door all night, willing you to come. And he said, it's supposed to be fun turning 21. So it's her 21st birthday. He said that he was going to come. He didn't come. And all she's doing, she's not celebrating. She's just waiting for him to show up. And he doesn't show up. And then we go from that to 22. And that complete shift in tone and and how much fun she's going to have and all that stuff. So I think that that ordering is completely intentional. So next is track seven, I Almost Do. This is one of those where... It's a good song, but I'm not crazy about it. I'm not sure that it does a whole lot for me. So I really like this song. And I, I again, I, I think just some of the lyrics, it takes everything in me not to call you. Every time I don't, I almost do. It tugs at your heartstrings. I mean, it, it's that heartbreak. And she, and she captures it really well in the song. And I agree. Like, there's this really good line here. I bet it never occurred to you that I can't say hello to you and risk another goodbye. Yeah, she, she's brilliant. This is well done. It's just on the lower tier for me on this album. Well, and then you move from I almost do to we are never, ever, ever getting back together. This like, song. Ever. <laughs> like every like every time I listen to this song, I like it a little bit better. <laughs> you know, when I first started listening to the album, you know, it was fun, but I thought it was a little silly. But she is so freaking funny. Like this song is a stand-up routine, if you think about it. I mean, so many funny bits and jokes in here. It's unbelievable. I remember when we broke up the first time and then there's the, what? Then there's, I say, I hate you. We break up. You call me. I love you. (laughs) Well, and she was quoted as saying, so I made a song that I knew would absolutely drive him crazy when he heard it on the radio. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, really? Oh, that's fantastic. (laughs) Uh, uh, like ever (laughs) every time that (laughs) i love that every single time (laughs) and just what a great dig you know and you would hide away and find your peace of mind with some indie record that's much cooler than mine it's like you could just totally hear that 
douchey guy, and, you know. I, and I love the voice memo from the iPhone. Like, absolutely yeah. freaking love that. <laughs> uh, so he calls me up and he's like, I still love you. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just the way they did it with the freaking voice memo. It's so cool. <laughs> I know. Like I was saying, this thing is so freaking funny and I love it. So next up is Stay, Stay, Stay. And I can't hear this song and not hear like commercials. Like it, like the opening to this song, I think I've heard in about a hundred different, or at least ripoffs of it in like a hundred mm-hmm. different commercials. For me, I don't love it because part of me thinks it's almost a dig at country music in general because it's exaggerated. Like, well, she, I, I think it's dials up. Like, the, yeah, it's just like this play, effectively. It's fiction, right? So, yeah, but it's almost like I don't know. I, I feel like it's almost mocking country music by the with the exaggerated the way that twang. it's played out yeah yeah so i struggle trying to figure out is it like you know it follows we are never getting back together you know clear pop song and then you go into this almost tongue-in-cheek country song like the exaggerated country of it just really bugs me like it it makes it makes me wonder how serious she was and then you know if you think about it at the end of the song you know the the giggle at the end it's almost like a joke you know and i don't know I, I like the track, but it's it's definitely um, a little lower on my uh, list from the from the album. All right, so let's get to the last time. So collaboration with uh, Gary Lightbody from Snow Patrol, definitely a powerful duet. Um, I, I, I like the song. It's a little, a little sad. This is the last time I'm asking you this. Put my name at the top of your list. I don't know that it's my favorite track on the album. But I, I like the I like the vocals a lot on it, but I don't know that I like the story of the song. So this one has grown on me really just over the last couple of weeks listening to uh, Red in preparation for the pod. And one line in here just really gets me. It's this is the last time I'm asking you why you break my heart in the blink of an eye. And I don't know. It's just the way it's performed. And, you know, it's a great lyric. And the way it's performed is is really um, sad. And I really like it. So supposedly the song was written and recorded in just nine hours. Oh, written and recorded in nine hours. Wow. That's pretty wild. So Lightbody said she works really fast. She's extraordinary. We actually did that song, wrote it and recorded it in a day. And that's the version that's on the record. That's pretty amazing. Do you want a bonus uh, something you might not know? Oh, give it to me. Taylor has three cats. Are you familiar with them? I know she's got cats, but I, I don't know their names exactly. So her cats are named Olivia Benson, named after Law & Order SVU character played by uh, Mariska Hargitay, Benjamin Button, and her number one cat, Meredith Grey. She's a huge Grey's Anatomy fan. Snow Patrol Chasing Cars is kind of like the unofficial theme song of Grey's Anatomy. So this was really her way of uh, showing her love for that show. Okay, so what's next? Track 11, Holy Ground. And I get upbeat country pop. For sure. And I'm stealing this from a pod that I listened to uh, on The Ringer. It was um, every single album, Taylor Swift, and they go through uh, in-depth every single album. And this observation is one that I kind of intuitively knew, but didn't really uh, have in my head. But it sounds uh, very similar to State of Grace and, in fact, has the same chord progressions. So, And is kind of in a similar style. So it's almost like a, a pairing with State of Grace. And 
and I was looking through a track list from the Red Tour, and she tended to open the show with State of Grace and Holy Ground together. So it's almost like an A, A and B for those songs. So I think in a way, it's kind of redundant. It's still really good, but I'm just not sure how necessary it is. I definitely like the track. Um, it's, you know, again, maybe not my favorite on the album, but I, but I definitely enjoy it. All right. So then let's move on to, what is it? Number 12, Sad, Beautiful, Tragic. Oh, it's all about loss. Very wistful, very sad. Well, that's your jam. So why don't you uh, yeah, not my, take it away? I, yeah, not my song. Like I, th- This is one that's just a little too a little too blue for me. I like melancholy, but this is just too too sad. Yeah, so to continue to steal pod that I was listening to, again, this is something that the second it clicks in, you completely hear it, but it's Fade Into You by Mazzy Star. So go back, listen to this song and fade into you back to back and, you know, you'll be hearing very similar songs. So yeah, it's a little too sad for me. There is a line here that I really like them and you've got your demons and darling, they all look like me. So, you know, kind of a cool line, but the song's just a little too sad and, you know, really not one that I'm not sure how necessary it is for the album. Well, next up is the uh, lucky one, track 13, lucky number 13. All right, so let's get to it. Any thoughts? So it's it's kind of a mellow pop song, uh, and I it, maybe for me it's the one that I just feel is almost out of place on this album because it just seems like it's it, it doesn't tie together as well. Like I don't I don't feel the tie with this song. Yeah, it's it's kind of thematically different, but some of the backstory maybe will make a little bit more sense. So uh, this song is rumored to be inspired by Joni Mitchell, and not necessarily about her musical style but her life and how she you know was a major star and then she kind of disappeared for decades and that's what this song is about she's talking about the lucky one and you know talking about you traded a rose garden for madison square and what she's talking about there is you just retired basically while you're at the peak of your powers you retired and instead of doing you know continuing to perform you just focused on you and lived your life so it's it's a song that's really sort of uh, inspired by Joni Mitchell, but there's an additional sort of connection here to Max Martin. He had nothing to do with the song, but there's a song by Britney Spears that was written by Max Martin Lucky. called Lucky. Yep. Yeah. And if you actually listen to Lucky and you listen to the story in The Lucky One, there's a lot of similarity there too, as far as the- Well, the, and she covered that song in her Speak Now tour. So she actually- Oh, did she? She covered it in, in that tour. Yeah. Oh, well then, gosh, to me, it's almost a non-question is the lucky one sort of drawing on lucky. Well, and and to the whole Joni Mitchell of it, um, I read an article that she was supposedly in talks to play Joni Mitchell at the time. And it was a a book that was going to be made into into a movie uh, that was covering Mitchell, Carol King, Carly Simon. It was really about uh, becoming stars it was i think the book was called girls like us and the movie was actually killed by joni mitchell (laughs) so Mm -hmm. uh, so she didn't get obviously the part the movie wasn't made so interesting all right so we're getting towards the uh the back end here we've got everything has changed this is the duet with ed sheeran so love this song um I, i feel like their voices go together really nicely on this duet um it's it's an upbeat love song you know I, I i feel like it's coming out of the woods right she she brings that feeling of like oh my god i've got a renewed belief that 
things are going to be good and things are going to be okay and I'm coming out of it. Uh, and it it's a beautiful song in, in the way that they sing it together. I think it really is one of my favorites on the, on the album. I agree that it sounds lovely. I think that they sing really uh, nicely together here and it sounds really good. Personally, it's Ed Sheeran just for some reason doesn't do it for me, you know? So like I can appreciate that it Dude's sounds talented, good. talented, man. Dude's very talented. Without a doubt, yeah. Just for some reason, the sound of his voice just doesn't appeal to me. So I think that this is a, a qual- high quality duet. I think that Sheeran just takes it a notch down for me just because it doesn't, he doesn't work for me. But I think that they execute this really well. I'm going to disagree on that one. I absolutely think it works. So Maybe I'm sandbagging you and I'm going to snake this from you in the uh, song yeah, draft. We'll have to see. Uh, number 15, Starlight. I mean, the story here is kind of bonkers. <laughs> well, isn't, wasn't she dating the Kennedy at the time? And N- No. I thought she was dating she Con- Connor Kennedy at the time. N- not at the time. No. So the, the timeline, as I understand it, goes like this. She, you know, just likes old things and likes to look at old photos and stuff. And she was, uh, you know, going through some old photos and she saw this picture of Bobby and Ethel Kennedy at when they were 17. So, you know, she sees this picture and then she's just starting to imagine the story behind the picture. And she basically creates this whole, you know, mythological story about what Bobby and Ethel were like at 17. So this is And she's she's got four, four Ethel in the liner notes, right? So. Yeah, but this is before she's met them. So now she's on tour. She's on the Red Tour. And Rory Kennedy, uh, Ethel's one of Ethel's daughters, contacts her and says, hey, you know, uh, you know, I guess they're doing a show, you know, local to them and asks her for tickets and, and Taylor obliges. And then they meet backstage afterwards. And, and Taylor tells her this, this story, you know, that we were just talking about, about how she came to write this song about her mother. And uh, Rory says, well, would you like to meet her? And Taylor's like, "Uh, yeah. So that's how she became acquainted with the Kennedys was through Rory because Rory came to see the show. And then later on, she would go on to buy the house next door to Ethel Kennedy and then go on to date uh, Connor, who was uh, Rory's nephew, Ethel's grandson. And in a way, this song is almost a dry run for something that we're going to see on Folklore because she does something similar with Last Great American Dynasty, where she ends up talking about the house that she buys after she sells the house next to the Kennedys. She buys the house that she ends up writing Last Great American Dynasty about. So, you know, maybe watch the real estate transactions for your next Taylor Swift song. I will keep an eye out. (laughs) All right, let's bring it home with track number 16. Begin right. again. Begin again. What do you think? Another love song about starting over. Um, it, it doesn't jump out at me. It's a good song. Personally, I would have ended the album with Everything Has Changed. So I, I, I feel like this out, this song is extraneous. And I, I would have moved things around a little bit. I think that the Ethel and Robert song didn't need to be between this and Everything Has Changed. She could have moved that up. My, my opinion. Oh, hey, I agree with you. If we're, if we're playing the the exercise of how do we shorten, I think this you could, album, I think you could have trimmed two tracks from this easily. I, easily I, made it a, a pretty a pretty tight fourteen track album. Um, not that it's not a great album, it is. Yep. Uh, but I, I think you could have trimmed a couple. So I agree with you hundred percent, and I would totally cut this uh, from the album. But 
you know, in the parameters of this is on here, then this is where it belongs. Well, I I understand with it on the album as being the last track on the album. I get it, but it's, it's ending on an upbeat note. A couple of lines that I did like uh, here are, you know, he didn't like it when I wore high heels, uh, a dig at Jake because he was short and she's 5'11". He also, she also says, uh, he always said he didn't get this song, you know, uh, talking about how this new love of hers, they have more similar music tastes and, um, and Jake, you know, likes his indie records that are much cooler than hers. And then lastly, she says, you throw your head back laughing like a little kid. I think it's strange. You think I'm funny because he never did. And again, you know, Jake, get a sense of humor. This chick is hilarious. Well, it, it, you said you never met one girl who has as many James Taylor's records as you, but I do. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So begin again. So I, I guess I'm struggling with this. The title is begin again, but it almost feels like it's not begin again. It feels like she's rehashing like that. That's uh-huh. my problem with this song. It feels like a re- she's rehashing emotions that she went through and she processed them the whole album and she's rehashing them in this song versus everything mm-hmm. has changed is everything has changed. I'm, I'm moving in a different, different direction. I agree. Let's cut it. I think we have to do the uh, B&T supercut of Red. Yeah. <laughs> how, how do we get this uh, album to 45 minutes? I, I, that and would be the- an awesome exercise, and we should do that, and we'll post our playlist of Red in 45 minutes. So, yeah, we'll, we'll do that, but I'm going to just tell you on mine, uh, I'm going to get there probably by shortening some songs too, you know? <laughs> <laughs> You're going full George Martin on it. Love it. Going, exactly. <laughs> You're going to add an orchestra. <laughs> uh, uh, and uh, yeah, and I'll maybe dub in some backing vocals. <laughs> Tony, is that you on guitar on that song? <laughs> All right. So that's the track review, right? So are we ready to do the draft? I think we're ready to do the song draft. And we are running long, dude. So. Oh, gosh. Well, you know, it's not our fault. It's a 16-track album. So what are we supposed to do? All right. Remind us, Bill, what is the song draft? Our song draft is when Tony and I take turns building a roster of songs from the album that we're covering. So we each get to alternate picks. We create our own team of songs, roster of songs. Tony will have his roster. I will have my roster. And at the end, we'll share it on our social media. We'll put a link to a, a poll, a Google poll, that will ask our audience to decide who came up with the better picks for the album, who created the better draft. Tony thinks his team's going to be the best. I think my team's going to be the best. And our audience will decide. So who goes first? Sheesh. Um, I got to harken back to the last time we actually did a song draft because we didn't do one on the uh, the holiday episode, Tone. And so what was the last show? Is it George? All Things. Did I go first there? You went first on All Things. All right. All right. So, Tony, since you went first on All Things, and that was the last song draft that we did, that means I get to go first on Red. That's awesome. You're going to get Everything Has Changed with your number one pick? <laughs> now I could be a spiteful, spiteful person and take the song that I know that you want to take. 
the song that you've ad- admitted to me is one of your top sen- 10 songs of all time. I could be really spiteful and take that. It wouldn't be spiteful if you took the best song on the album. I, I So I'm going to take what I like the best on the album. Um, and All Too Well is probably my 1B uh, on, on the album. So I like the song. I think it's a great song. But I'm going to go with the more upbeat fun song and i'm gonna pick we are never ever getting back together as number one wow bill Uh, do you still have the holiday spirit this is so generous of you i will take your gift um we are never getting back together was my number two so you know i think that you absolutely picked correctly if you weren't going to take all too well so i will go all too well with my first pick so my, I'm going to stick with the upbeat pop songs, and I'm going to go with I Knew You Were Trouble at number three. I'm going to go with State of Grace. I'm going to go with 22 at number five. And really, a late climber just in the last two weeks has been growing on me the last time. Really? Wow. Yeah. And I'm going to go with Everything Has Changed. So we get the duets out of the way. I'm going red. Loving you is red, 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 red. Uh, I'm going to go holy ground. I'm going to go treacherous. I'm going to go I almost do. I'm going the lucky one. Stay, stay, stay. Starlight. I will go begin again because I don't like sad, beautiful, tragic. Yeah, these were my bottom two in that order. Those, yeah, those would be the two songs that I would probably say are my bottom two as well. Yeah, 100% my bottom two. All right, so let's do a quick recap tone. So I got to go first uh, with We Are Never Getting Back Together, followed by I Knew You Were Trouble, followed by 22. Then I went to Everything Has Changed. Next, I selected Holy Ground. Then I got I Almost Do, followed by Stay, Stay, Stay. And lastly, begin again. And my all-star team is All Too Well, State of Grace, The Last Time, Red, Treacherous, The Lucky One, Starlight, and Sad, Beautiful, Tragic. I have to tell you, um, this is continuing the trend where we, it, I, I suspect that we kind of got, you know, songs in the right spots for us. I loved what I got, where I got it, and the, the ones that you got were songs I would have taken later. So I think that we just kind of uh, look at this album a little differently. I think we worked around each other on this one. Yeah, I think we look at this album a little differently. I, I de- definitely appreciate some of the songs you picked. I mean, I think, all, you know, again, all too well, I completely understand how that might have been the right choice, but I picked the song I like better. Sure. And I would have picked that one uh, next. So basically it's, you know, you got the one that you like better. You didn't get it too early. You just got it, uh, the one that you like better. So yep. staying true to yourself. All right, so Tone, I think that wraps up our song draft. So why don't we go to final thoughts, and I'm going to let you kick off final thoughts. Long album, so I'll be quick. Love this album. And just the appreciation that I've gained for some songs that I didn't really listen to a lot before has been an absolute gift. I like almost the entirety of this album a whole heck of a lot more than I did beforehand. I agree with everything you said, uh, especially the fact that sitting with and listening to the whole album is such a great experience. And I I think that's the thing I've taken out of doing this podcast and doing the whole listening to the Rolling Stone 500 albums. 
it, it really is so enjoyable to listen to an album as the artist intended to give it to you, right? So from track one to the, to the end of the album, the way that it's laid out, the story that they're trying to tell, how they knit the album together, I think Taylor Swift does a, a really masterful job of doing that on all of her albums. And while some people might feel that this album is a bit disjointed, as you mentioned before, with the country flair for some of the songs and the pop sensibilities and kind of alter, alternating genres on some of the other tracks, I feel that this album as a whole comes together really, really well. And I, I really, really love it. And when we talked about doing a Taylor Swift episode, you and I kind of argued around whether we should do Red or whether we should do 1989. And I'm going to tell you that they're both great albums. So I, I put have them both on my my own personal top albums list. I think they're both just tremendous albums. I actually rate Red as a higher rated album. I think I like 1989 for different reasons uh, than I than I like Red. But listening to it for the past two weeks, solid and and really trying to dig into the tracks. I have a completely new appreciation for this album. And I, I, I think, well, let me, let me say it this way. I'm really glad that we chose to do Red as a standalone album for this, for this podcast. And, for sure. And I, I really love this album. And I love that Taylor Swift re-released her own version of it and just gave us more music to listen to, which is just brilliant. I'm looking at my notes, Bill, and it occurs to me that we didn't cover where this ranks on the Rolling Stone list at the top of the show like we normally do. We did not. And it did make the 2020 list. It, so it's it's a newer album. Uh, it did not make the 2012 list because obviously it came out in 2012. Just came out, yeah. Um, it did make the 2020 list. It was number 99 on the 2020 list. And where is it on your list? So I, as I mentioned before, I actually have both this album and 1989 on my top albums list. Um, I rank this album as my number 44 album of all time. So it, it's, I think, it's just an exceptional album uh, to crack my top 50. I, I think it's really a great album and I think it's very well done. All right, folks, that wraps up another episode of Bill and Tony's Excellent Adventure. We look forward to our next episode when we go really 180 degrees and talk about Led Zeppelin Four. One of my favorite albums. Absolutely love it. Can't wait. All right, folks. Well, Happy New Year. This is the first show of 2023 for us. And, and it's our 20th uh, episode, Tone. Our 20th episode. Unbelievable. 20 episodes. So thank you all for joining us for all 20 episodes. If you're new to the show with this episode, please look at the back catalog. We've got 19 other shows uh, that we hope you'll enjoy. Happy New Year, everybody. We'll talk to you next week. 